You could feel and you could smell the beautiful smell after a rain. That quietness, that's what, that's what this book is asking you to cultivate. And she does it perfectly. But if you have the opportunity to read the book, I promise you it's going to be a really good cry because Bodhi's had his good cry. I've had my few good cries and my wife has definitely had her good cries. It's, it's so worth it. Welcome to the Emotional Compass. This is Bodhi. And Abiel. This is going to be a very special series. We started reading, well, Abiel started reading this book called Radical Acceptance by Tara Brack. And then he asked me to read it. And then we decided to do like a three-part series where we just discussed the book. So if you want to follow along our conversation, we highly recommend that you pick up this book. I got the audiobook. I think, Abiel, you got both the audiobook and the book itself. And uh, for this podcast episode, we're reviewing the first three chapters, which, I mean, they're just mind-blowing. So good. You could find the book on Google Play or Apple. Um, it's available in a lot of different spots, whichever way. Maybe I think Audible might have it as well. I haven't checked. But um, my I, I wife, got it on Audible, so yeah. Okay, so it. it's yeah. all three. My wife, um, somebody recommended her in her book club, and she's been going. Th- she was going through it, and she had so many breakthrough moments. And we both enjoy swapping books. And she's like, "This is a must." So, without further ado, Bodhi, why don't you lead us to uh, to uh, some of your highlights of the first uh, few chapters? Yeah. Um, I was really, really caught off guard. Why not caught off guard, but I was just surprised by how humble her beginnings were, you know, because when you have someone of her level, you know, she's, she's a psychotherapist, she's uh, done, you know, she's a trained meditation teacher. She's worked with, you know, all the popular spiritual gurus and, you know, your, philosophical thinkers like Jack Jack Cornfield and the guy from Chicken Soup of the Soul. And so you think that, you know, they just were born like that, but she had a very humble beginning where she struggled with all the things that we struggle for in life, you know, um, when we're young and we're growing up. And out of all those struggles, she started to look for answers and one of the answers was that she started going and living in the ashram. And, you know, this is very close to my heart because 10 years ago, I went and lived in an ashram. Well, more than 10 years ago now, 12 years ago. And, um, and so I can see her journey. There's few parallels between her journey and mine because I lived in the ashram while I was close uh, proximity, but I used to go to this ashram like, every weekend. And after years doing that, I, I realized that it didn't have everything that I needed and I wanted. And she had the same experience where she got disillusioned by the ashram. She left the ashram and uh, then she discovered Buddhism. And that's where a lot of her insights come from, is from Buddhism. And I think we were discussing this 
one of the things that really got to me, and this has been my journey, is this journey of I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. And this whole journey of not feeling worthy and not feeling acceptable, the trance of unworthiness, which she calls it in the book, I had to cry on that. You know, because there's the story of this tiger that she talks about, this tiger called Mukhini in the Washington, D.C. Zoo. And initially... Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, they, they get this tiger... And, you know, in, in the beginning, they, it's confined to a very small space, maybe like 12 by 12, and it's just pacing around in that tiny little, uh, you know, space. And eventually, they build this, like, big enclosure for the tiger with a lake and rocks so it can, like, run around and jump and, you know, bathe. And so eventually, when they move that tiger out of that 12 by 12 confine, into this big enclosure, what happens is that that tiger goes and finds a small 12 by 12 enclosure in this giant confine because now it's used to living within that limitation. And it's the same thing that she talks about is like we cage ourselves with our self-judgment and our anxiety that we're just not good enough and we're not worthy enough. And so we get limited to our life without accepting who we are and where we are so that we can finally break free of those limitations and discover how large life can be. Of course, I'm, I'm jump, jumping ahead, but this, this is what got to me in the first chapter. And honestly, I was doing some work around the house. I had to take a break and cry. That's such a good cry. Oh, man. I... I question myself and I'm like, in what areas of my life am I being like that tiger that I've worn out that grass? I think about it and there's so many different areas of my life that I could totally relate with this tiger. But speaking of, of her life and her ashram, it, it reminded me a lot of my experience with organized religion and the boundaries that I had, I had created because of that. And breaking through those boundaries to be able to live life outside of that confinement required radical acceptance. But not only that, it, requ- it required grace. It required a miracle in order for me to, to see beyond the limitations that I had created within my mind. So she goes on on, on different aspects of what acceptance is and it's funny how she breaks it down and because a lot of times people are saying well if i'm if i'm smoking accepting that i smoke is not going to mean that you're going to smoke more it's an acceptance that you're having that that vice that you're having that want that desire to taste that tobacco in your mouth is accepting that you're you're having all those emotions because the not accepting it the fighting it off it's what causes that tension that creates that anchor. It's like this leverage that pulls you off. You know, for however small that's dug into you, the, that lever of, of desire is so long that it doesn't take much force to yank you off the ledge. One of the things that I really liked about um, her book too is she, she says, one of her quotes says as follow, what would life be like 
if all my boundaries are dissolved and let me live life and it allowed life to live through me. So it, it's once again, those confinements of the tiger, what, what would life be like if I wasn't stuck within my own 12 by 12 and I could see the, the rocks and I could see the lake and I could see the, the air. So when you talked about that story, how much you liked it, it just immediately made me think of all the areas I'm being the tiger. Yeah. It's, I, I want to touch upon what you said about the acceptance because that, that was my first question when she started talking about acceptance. I'm like, well, then I can just accept being a flawed human being, right? And then she gave this beautiful example. Imagine you're in a car crash. Of course, I you know don't take this like literally, but just hypothetical situation. Imagine you're in a car crash and you get paralyzed from the waist below. Now your acceptance is your new reality. Your new reality that you can't walk, you probably you know, can't have children, you probably can't, you know, play sports. This is your acceptance of your new reality. But that, that does not mean that you're just going to accept defeat of where you are. And then she gave the example of Christopher Reeves, who was the Superman, who played Superman back in the 80s and 90s. Sure. Um, probably you millennials don't remember that. But um, he was the, the guy that played Superman back in the 80s and 90s, and he fell off a horse and was paralyzed. But his first thing was accepting his new reality, and he rose from that reality, and he came back like nobody else can, because then after he accepted his reality, was he able to push forward with hope and drive and determination to create a new reality that was acceptable for him. Yeah, his legs no longer worked, but you could see the drive in him. It was it was a changed man. It was that Superman that you saw in the movies all over again. It was so inspiring to see his story. I, I truly enjoyed seeing that tragedy become into this inspirational story. It was beautiful. Yeah, that's why I kind of really love the way she defined what radical acceptance is. When she gave that example, I was like, oh, okay. So I'm just supposed to accept where I am in life, but not be complacent with that. I am supposed to do something about it. That does not mean that this is the way I am. That's, that's, you have to accept that. Because I have seen this with people around me a lot, well, loved ones. Like they say like, well, you know, you have to accept me for who I am. This is just the way I am. I'm not going to change, you know. And that, I don't think that's the premise of radical acceptance. It's not that cop out. I could totally see it's like, accept me the way I am. I'm just angry. Um, I think that radical acceptance is what frees you up from that fear of that failure. It's what frees you up to be able to um, look at fear in the face and go through it or go beyond it. It's what allows you to embrace the projects that you are, you've been scared to go for because you don't want to fail. And she discusses in her book also like that relationship with failure and, and accepting that that might be a possibility but that acceptance is that freedom. It's that, that leap of faith that allows you to move beyond your limiting beliefs to get that tiger out of that 12 by 12. And 
the way that she puts this and her words are so eloquent and she writes it with such vulnerability. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about her or through her writing, because I haven't met her, I would love to meet you if you have the opportunity and you're listening to a podcast, um, is the fact that she is so open and she's so vulnerable when she's writing those words that my heart automatically opens up to embrace and accept the words that are coming out of her mouth. So I was that was the first thing that hit me from the beginning. And she doesn't stop. It, it's an entire journey of openness. It's an entire journey of, of vulnerability, of, of radical acceptance. Yeah, she gives amazing experiences from her own life and then anecdotes, like the whole, you know, tiger anecdote that she gave. And I feel like throughout the book, there are two pillars that's holding up the whole premise of the book is one is learning to observe our experience, basically trying to see, okay, this is, this is who I am. You know, this is how flawed I am if I want to do self-judgment. But then also being compassionate towards that. I remember last year when I was, you know, clinically depressed and going through that terrible time, I had this tendency of smoking because I was remodeling my house. I had the contractor and the contractor would smoke all the time. So I'd go outside and smoke with him. And I can, I remember beating myself up over the fact that I'm like, how can I do this to myself? Like my mom died of lung cancer. Here I am smoking. And how am I honoring her memory? How am I honoring her legacy? And I would just beat myself up over it. And in the example that she gave in the book, she's like, you know, just observe that. Observe that you're smoking. And then be compassionate towards that whole experience. Like, you know what? Read the packaging. Read how it's harmful to you. Read... You know, if if you have literature on how harmful smoking is to you, read it, but be completely present to that whole experience and then just accept it and be vulnerable through that whole experience. And she's like, once you stop that judgment towards yourself, then you will open up to maybe new ways of dealing with that experience. That right there just opened me up. It's so beautiful the way you put it, and it's so beautiful the way she puts it. And in part of the book, I'm not going to give too much away. She talks about her relationship with her mom, and that just that opened me up as well. It's just so touching. Um, she talks about her growing up with her mother, and yeah, I don't know if I want to give that away, but when it comes to addiction, it's not just smoking, it's not just drinking. There's a lot of different vices that we use. And it's that, it's that paradox, it's that dichotomy of like, I'm not worthy, I'm not good. And all these things I want to drown through that addiction because it gives me that break that I need. It, it gives me that outlet. And once she starts talking about her practice and her meditation, it just, it shows you like, there are ways out of this cycle. There are ways that you too could find healthy living habits through compassion and it's not by beating yourself up it is not by trying harder it's this daily practice of mindfulness and meditation and how you could apply that in different aspects of your life but 
just how the amount of acceptance and vulnerability and openness that I'm I experienced through this book is one of a kind. And if you have the opportunity and you're out there and you're looking for a good read now that you're stuck through this coronavirus, or if you're picking up this podcast six months from now and there's no more coronavirus, it's a great book. I recommend it. You have you need to put this in your in your phone and your hard copy in your library. I think it's something that after you're done reading, you're going to want to share it with your loved ones for sure. Yeah. And if it makes you cry, have that good cry. Definitely have that good cry. I, I, I'll, I'll leave with this quote, which I, it touched me so deeply, this quote. And it was, she says, what would it be like if I could accept life, accept this moment exactly as it is? And it's that quote that actually made me cry because I've always been about productivity, going from one task to another. What am I doing with my life? How it can be better and improve and, you know, write a book, do a podcast, um, you know, do better at my job, learn this, do that. I believe, Abiel, you're, you're very much like that too. You're like, you're always on the go, always creating, always producing. and there are times where I just have to take that pause and that moment and just accept that moment for what it is. Not make it better, not make it worse either. Just, it is. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, when Oprah was doing her O-series with Eckhart Tolle. I think this is going back a few years, maybe a decade in. They decided to have like five minutes of um, radio silence. For people just to be with themselves, That's just to crazy. be on national yeah. television. Well, I think it was a radio. Oh, okay. It was a radio, but it was beautiful. It was radical. It was beautiful because our minds are constantly wanting to do to hide those thoughts of worthlessness. Because I think that the more I do, the more I could hide them. So I'm constantly doing a busy mind doesn't allow all those thoughts to come in. But is it is not till the point where you become quiet and you allow all those thoughts to start screaming at you, yelling at you, and they start yelling so loud that they deafen you to the point where you surrender and you accept them. And the moment you do, there's like you start you all of a sudden could feel the breeze in your hair. You could feel the the weight of your body underneath your feet. You could feel and you could smell the beautiful smell after a rain. That quietness, that's what, that's what this book is asking you to cultivate. And she does it perfectly. But if you have the opportunity to read the book, I promise you it's going to be a really good cry because Bodhi's had his good cry. I've had my few good cries and my wife has definitely had her good cries. It's, it's so worth it. Yeah, it really pulls on your heartstrings. And, you know, and to me, like whenever I feel like crying, especially when I'm home, I'm just going at it because obviously it's stirring up all these emotions that I felt like I had dealt with and I had made peace with them. But so much of this stuff just came up and I was like, I'm just going to have a nice good cry right now. Just stop everything that I'm doing, breathe and cry. And I did. And I felt really good. 
And that's the first thing that I told you this morning when I messaged you. I was like, I'm so glad we're reading this book because I had a good cry thanks to it. Yeah. So this has been part one. We've discussed briefly parts of the the first three chapters. We would love for you to join us on part two. We're going to be discussing a little bit more of the book without trying to give everything away. Um, And we're so happy that you're here with us. We're so happy that you're listening. Realize that we have more than just this podcast. We have an Instagram and a Facebook page. Leave your comments. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Ask any questions that you might have. Um, We're here for you. You matter. You're loved. All that good stuff. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast because those ratings and reviews help other people discover this podcast. And as we always say, we're doing this out of love and we want to spread the love as far and wide as we can spread it. So until next time, this is the Emotional Compass.